this is, um, so I chose, a, I chose a topic for this week that I don't really know anything about, and I did that on purpose because I'm probably not the only person who felt like they didn't know anything about it. So um, I wanted to talk today about fasting for a couple of reasons. So the Lent season began on Wednesday, um, and for those of you who don't know what Lent is, it's a uh, like 40-day period of fasting leading up to Easter um, that is pretty traditional. But so some people observe it, some people don't. But so I was like, well, let's talk about fasting. Um, the One of our goals is to try and bring up a spiritual discipline every couple of weeks. So I was like, well, I guess we'll talk about fasting since that's what's going on. Um, but I just want everyone to know fasting is something that I've never really understood or been very good at. So... Um, I, I'm going to kind of start by uh, talking about my experiences with it and my understanding of it and then kind of go into what the Bible has to say about it. Um, I also kind of did myself in by, so last week I was like, hey, everyone, let's read Matthew 4, 1 through 11. And I chose that passage because it's the passage where Jesus is fasting. And I was like, it's going to talk a lot about fasting. It doesn't really, like, there's, it's like one sentence. So, um, but there's actually still some really good information there. So in the middle of the sermon, there's going to be, like, a little rabbit trail that's going to go on and talk about that story, and then we're going to go back to talking about fasting. So just when we get to that point, I'll just say, you know, we're going to switch lanes for a minute, and then we'll get back. So just giving you a heads up about that. Um, as far as fasting goes, uh, like, when I was, when I was a child uh, growing up in church, People fasted for a lot of different reasons. Uh, sometimes it was they felt something in their life was unsatisfactory or they wanted to hear from God in some way. And uh, I remember a time when one of my family members actually did a 40-day fast. Like they didn't eat food for 40 days. And I was pretty young and I was like, like why the heck would you do? Like what is the reason behind that? Like I just did not understand. Um, and... Uh, they told me that the longer the fast went on, the more they kind of felt like their body ceased to exist. Like the first like couple days of it, they were like, I'm, I'm absolutely miserable, like I hate this. But the longer it went on, the more, and I'm trying not to use like pronouns, uh, the, the longer it went on, the more they uh, felt like food didn't matter. And I don't know that that could ever be the case for me, but that was something that I kind of saw growing up. Um, kind of the next time that fasting played a role in my life. So when I was going into college, I told my family, I'm gonna do, like, I'm gonna fast for a couple of weeks to like, like spiritually prepare myself to go into college. But um, really I just did it because I wanted to lose some weight. <laughs> Uh, and that's not really that funny because that's actually like anorexia, but um, I actually, you know, I, it only lasted a day. I didn't really make it very long, but that was my, like I used that as like a cover up for, um, for like me not being satisfied with the way I looked. I was like, I'm just going to be really holy and like fast, but I like literally like a couple hours later was like sneaking downstairs trying to get like a sandwich out of the fridge. So it didn't last very long. Um, then when I was in college, I... Uh, this is like just, the sermon has become Confessions by Keenan. Um, the, uh, <laughs> so then when I was in college, 
uh, my freshman year, all of us had to take a, I went to a private Christian college, and I had to take a, a religious course called spiritual, what was it called? Spiritual development class. And it was actually probably the worst class I could take for my spiritual development because I pretty much just spent the whole time like lying about like things that I read that I didn't actually read, and I kind of maybe forged a spiritual journal, and um, that was really the last like time I encountered like really thinking about the concept of fasting. So. Um, when I said last week, I'm going to talk about fasting, I was like, I'm literally going to start from scratch. So I'm going to, I'm going to talk about what the Old Testament has to say about fasting, and then kind of what Jesus has to say, and what he says in the New Testament, and then how should we be fasting today. Um, I'm going to start with the Old Testament, because it's older. Um, so before Jesus, there was, uh, there was really only one religious uh, event that required fasting, um, it was called the Day of Atonement, um, and actually, it's still celebrated today, it's called Yom Kippur, it actually means Day of Atonement. Um, the idea behind the Day of Atonement, I'm going to try, I tried to research it, and I'm going to try to present it in a way that makes sense, but kind of my understanding of it is once a year, you fast for, it's actually not 24 hours, but 25 hours is what I read, but you fast because a spiritual event takes place every year at like the turn of the year um, and basically God opens the book of life and it's the same book of life that I kind of talked about later in Revelation but the book of life has everyone's names in it and basically that point in time of the year determines whether or not your fate for the year like you will be righteous or you will not be righteous that year um, and so part of the Yom Kippur like Day of Atonement was that you had to fast and spiritually prepare yourself for this, like, will my sins be atoned for? Will they not be atoned for? Um, and part of the idea behind it, so they, they wanted to, the idea was you make your body uncomfortable in order to make your soul uncomfortable, to kind of, like, get you ready in preparation for this big event. Uh, outside of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, there was not a lot of um, strict guidelines around fasting. Every other time that fasting is mentioned in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it's more when someone was in mourning, when someone felt like they were trying to speak to God, when someone was waiting for an answer. It wasn't like for a specific holiday or anything like that. So most of the time when they're talking about fasting, it's like a period of mourning where someone would stop eating and they would put on like sackcloth, which is supposed to be like, really awful, uncomfortable, like wearing a potato sack all day, and, um, and people would like sit in their ashes and like cover their head in ashes, and it was like a period of like mourning and misery to try and either get through your grief or try to speak to God or have God change something. Uh, in the, so that's kind of how fasting takes place in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the first time that we really talk about it is when Jesus does his fast. And he does his fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And that's what I had everyone read in Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11, which, raise your hand if you really read it. Okay, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so, the, I'm, I'm going to actually read it, but before I read it, I'm going to talk a little bit about the significance of the number 40, uh, because that's also kind of what translates into we do Lent for 40 days. Um, 
So I was like, well, what is this like 40? Like, why are we talking about the number 40? So I started Googling like, what is the significance of the number 40 in the Bible? And then I got into numerology, which is really fascinating, but like you can get really deep into that. It's really confusing, especially if you don't like numbers or math. But the uh, number 40 appears a lot of times in the Bible. Um, I kind of put it together on a slide. So 40 shows up like in the Old Testament. It's the number of days and nights that it rained during the flood. Uh, it's the number of years that the Israelites wandered. Um, it was kind of mentioned as the number of years it took to change a generation. So that about, the idea was about every 40 years, like the new generation kind of came into being and kind of cycled that way. Um, usually when they're talking about how long a king ruled, it was for 40 years. And this one I thought was super fascinating. In baptism or like spiritual cleansing, 40 was the measure of water that was used. Um, the other thing that's really fascinating about 40 is it's not intended to be literal. Um, 40 in the Old Testament basically means a very long time. It's not a specific actual 40 years. It's used to reference a long period of time. That's why they're like, this king ruled for 40 years, and that happened for 40 years. And what it basically means is it happened for a very long time. It's not like a specific literal year over year over year. That's why, that's how the number 40 is used, uh, because it has to do with symbolism. And we can, if you want to talk to me about all the other weird symbols in the Bible, like the 666 and the 3 and all of that, like, it's super fascinating. Um, granted, I got this off the internet, so it could all be a lie, but that's kind of how I came to understand it. Um, <laughs> So it's either way, it's super fascinating. Um, so now I'm gonna I'm gonna read, since you know we're we're all human and we forget to read our Bibles. I'm gonna read the um, the passage that talks about Jesus wandering in the desert for forty days and forty nights, and the whole time he's fasting, which has got to be rough. So. says, the spirit then led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. After this fast, he was, as you can imagine, hungry, but he was also curiously stronger when the tempter came to Jesus. The devil said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy and says, it is written, man does not live by bread alone. Rather, he lives on every word that comes from the mouth of the eternal one. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city, Jerusalem, and he had Jesus stand at the very highest point in the holy temple. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, jump, and then we will see if you fulfill the scripture that says, he will command his heavenly messengers concerning you, and the messengers will buoy you <laughs> in their hands, so that you will not crash or fall or even graze your foot on a stone. Then Jesus says to the devil, this is not the only scripture that's not the only thing scripture says. It also says, do not put the eternal one, your God, to the test. And still the devil subjected Jesus to a third test. He took Jesus to the top of a very high mountain, and he showed Jesus all of the kingdoms over the world and all of their splendor and glory. And the devil said, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you all these kingdoms. And Jesus said, get away from me, Satan. I will not serve you. I will instead follow scripture, which tells me to worship the eternal one, your God, and serve only him. Then the devil left Jesus, and heavenly messengers came and ministered to him. So I asked everyone to read this because I thought it was going to have a lot more to do with fasting, but as you notice, it's really only like a sentence in there. Um, so this is the part where I'm going to go a little bit on a rabbit trail to talk about this, because 
Theologians have some very interesting things to say about this, like only written, like confrontation we have between like Jesus and the devil. Um, so the first thing, the the word that we use. So this is re- this is referred to as like the temptation of Christ. Um, part of what's interesting is the word that we use to translate into like tempt or temptation. It's also the word for test. So it's also like a trial, like a um, are you going to do this or are you going to do that kind of idea. Um, some theologians believe that Satan presents Jesus with these options, and what these options represent are a different path that he could have taken to being a messiah. It's a different, like, it's presenting, like, a different option. Like, you could have shown up this way, but Jesus doesn't show up any of those ways. So I'm going to talk just a little bit about all those things. Um, And keep in mind, like, this whole time Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, and I don't know about all of you, but if I was, like, super hangry, I don't know that I would, like, be able to pass any test or stand any temptation, but Jesus does. So um, here's kind of what the first temptation is supposed to represent. So the devil asked God to, he's like, you should just turn this rock into bread. Like, you're hungry, you should just do this. And what that kind of represents is the idea that Jesus could have shown up as a savior who um, takes care of all of our physical needs. Um, The idea that uh, Jesus will come into situations and completely remove the uh, physical world around us and alter physicality in order to like make our lives better. And Jesus is like, oh, I'm not going to show up in that way. The second thing that Satan tests Jesus and he takes him to the highest point in the temple and says, throw yourself down and the angels will catch you. And that, uh, we kind of talked about that a little bit ago. So at the time when Jesus was alive, there were what was called sign prophets. They were all of the other uh, like messiahs that were in the desert saying, look at this sign, a miracle, I am the son of God. Look at this sign, look at this. And so the devil is like, hey, you should probably just throw yourself off this tower and save yourself and everyone will see that you are this savior. Um, and so instead of taking the like big showy way, uh, Jesus does not throw himself off the tower. And actually when he does all of his miracles, they aren't for they're not to show off, they're always to fulfill a need. So if you like read all the miracles, they're never to be like, check out this. Like it's always to fulfill some sort of need. Um, And then the last test is the devil taking Jesus to the top of a mountain and he shows him the whole world. I mean, figuratively, I don't really know, I don't know how big this mountain was, but he shows him the world and says, if you worship me, then I'll make you like the ruler of the world. And it's a political point. It's a, uh, he's giving him the option to be a political figure. So again, this is just kind of a little rabbit trail and doesn't have anything to do with fasting, but I thought it was super fascinating because it shows that Jesus uh, doesn't show up how he was expected to or how um, either Satan or the world thought he was going to show up. He doesn't show up as someone who resolves all of our physical issues that we face. He doesn't show up as a spectacle or a sign prophet. He doesn't show up as a political leader. Uh, And that's kind of the end of that rabbit trail. I just thought that was super fascinating. And since I told everyone to read about it, I felt like we should at least talk about it. Um, So merging back into talking about fasting. So after Jesus kind of completes these tests, he, he starts his ministry. So like this fasting period is actually what kind of kicks off the beginning of his ministry. Um, and as he's going about his ministry, he has some things to say about fasting. Um, so in 
And I tried to flag these, so I'm going to try and read them from here. So in um, Matthew 9, 14 through 17, uh, the disciples kind of ask him about whether they should be fasting or not. Um, okay, so they... And then some of the disciples of John came, and they said, What is the story with fasting? We fast, and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus says, When you celebrate, as at a wedding, when one's dearest friends are getting married, you do not fast. The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then my friends and followers will fast. You would begin by washing and uh, shrinking... Would, sorry. You would begin by washing and shrinking a patch you would use to mend a garment. Otherwise, the patch would shrink later, pull away from the garment, and make the original tear even worse. You wouldn't pour new skin, no, sorry, you wouldn't pour new wine into old wineskins. If you did, the skins would burst. The wine would run out, and the wineskins would be ruined. No, you would not pour new wine into new wineskins, and both the wine and the wineskins would be preserved. So what? I was talking with Shelly about this, and she's like, what? Like, what is this stuff about wineskins and bridegrooms? And, like, what, is, what does all of that mean? So the idea behind this is the disciples of John are like, why, why aren't your followers fasting? Like, that's something that we all do. Like, we all, we all do these fasts. Like, why aren't they doing it? And Jesus says, well, because I am with them. There's not a period of mourning. There's not a, they don't need to try and reach out to speak to me or make atonement with me because I'm already here with them. And then he says, there will be a time when I'm gone where they can do those things, but like right now is not the time. And then he talks about the new wine going into old wineskins. And so the idea behind that is we don't want to take an old idea and cram it into a new one and try to make it work in that new one. The old one can still exist within the old ways. It can still make sense within the old way. But if you try to cram it into the new one, it's not going to necessarily hold together. So that's kind of what he's talking about with that. The other time that Jesus mentions fasting is uh, back in Matthew chapter 6, verse uh, 16 through 18. And what he says there is, And when you do fast, do not look miserable as the actors and hypocrites do when they are fasting. They walk around town putting on airs about their suffering and weakness, complaining about how hungry they are. I would probably do that. Um, so everyone will know that they are fasting. They don't wash or anoint themselves with oil, pink their cheeks, or wear comfortable shoes. Those who show off their piety, they have already received their reward. When you fast, wash your face and beautify yourself with oil, so no one who looks at you will know your discipline. Only your Father who is unseen will see your fast, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So again, when Jesus is talking about fasting, it's not a... It's not meant to be like a big showy thing, like, oh, look at us, we're all fasting and we're miserable. Like that's, he points out that when we try to draw attention to our own piety, um, it doesn't actually improve how we see God or how others see God. It just becomes a big show of like, look at how great I am, look at how miserable I can be by not eating for 40 days. Like it's not, Jesus points out that that's not, that's not the will of God for it to be a big show. So if fasting is not about atonement anymore because we know that we've been atoned through Jesus' sacrifice, if it is not uh, to be 
a spectacle of pious behavior if it's not uh, to be done while the bridegroom is among us, and if 40 only means a very long time, then why do we fast? Um, and I had like a really hard time with that because I was like, well, why? Like, what's the what's the point of it? Why? What should what should our fasting look like if we are Christians and we have Christ among us? What 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 does a fast look like? So ironically, the Old Testament has something really interesting to say about fasting. Um, God communicates through Isaiah a message to the Israelites that kind of points out you're not you're not getting the point. You're not understanding what what this is all about. And he uses Isaiah to give a different perspective on how we are actually supposed to view fasting and how we're supposed to view God. So I'm going to read what it says. Again, this is like a passage where a prophet is given a message from God and is trying to communicate to the Israelites, you're, you're focusing on the wrong thing, you've got the wrong picture. And God says through Isaiah, Tell my people about their wrongdoing. Shout with a voice like a trumpet. Hold nothing back. Say, this people of Jacob's line and heritage have failed to do what is right. And yet they look for me every day. They pretend to want to learn what I teach, as if they are indeed a nation good and true, as if they hadn't really turned their backs on my directives. They even ask me as though they care about what I want them to do, as if they really want me in their lives. And the people say to Isaiah, through God, they say, why didn't you notice how diligently we fasted before you? We humbled ourselves with pious practices and you paid no attention. And God's response is, I have to tell you, on those fasting days, all you were really seeking was your own pleasure. Besides, you were busy defrauding people and abusing your workers. Your kind of fasting is pointless for it only leads to bitter quarrels, contentious backbiting and vicious fighting. You are not fasting today because you want me to hear your voice. What kind of fast do I choose? Is a true fast simply some religious exercise for making a person feel miserable and woeful? Is it about how you bow your head? Is it about how you dress and where you sit? Is this what you call a fast, a day the eternal one finds good and proper? No, what I want in a fast is this, to liberate those tied down and held back by injustice, to lighten the load of those heavily burdened, to free the oppressed and shatter every type of oppression. A fast for me involves sharing your food with people who have none, giving those who are homeless a space in your home, giving clothes to those who need them and not neglecting your own family. Then, oh then, your light will break out like the warm golden rays of a rising sun. In an instant you will be healed. Your rightness will, be, will proceed and protect you. The glory of the eternal will follow you and defend you. So even in a period where fasting is intended to atone for sins and to make yourself right with God, God still sends back the message, I would rather you fast in this way. I would rather you focus on liberating those who are tied down and held back. I would rather you deal with the injustices that you see around you, that you would free the oppressed and shatter every type of oppression. Uh, that to me is incredibly powerful because again, it takes the fasting, the idea of fasting off of how can I make myself better? How can I be a, a better person? How can I be more pious? How can I do this or that? And says, 
there is oppression happening all around you. If you want to worship me and devote yourself before me, this is what you need to fix. This is what you need to do. This is how you can help. Um, and I've heard, so I guess kind of what is then the application of this idea? Um, I think it looks different for everyone. I think everyone encounters uh, different needs and different oppressions in their life. I know that some people during Lent, uh, they use it as a time to kind of help see the oppression that's around them or see where people have less. I, we have family friends who, when they do Lent, it's not a 40-day fast of we're not going to eat. It's a 40 days of we are going to eat what the people who are most impoverished in the world eat. We're going to eat only rice and beans. Like it's a, like a mental shift of putting yourself in the place of another person um, so that you can see like where they are at and you can help bring God to them through that. Um, I kind of, I don't know how I'm going to apply that in my life for the next, you know, whatever, 38 or 37 days we have left of this Lenten season, but I think that the idea behind fasting that I can tell from, from these stories is not that it's about putting on a big show or about how long you do it or specifically what you do. It's more how can you how can you get in tune with the nature of God? And the nature of Jesus is to free the oppressed. The nature of Jesus is to correct the harm that has been done. Um, so I guess my challenge for us as a community is how do we, how do we address those needs? How do, we, how do we perform this fast that God has asked of righting the injustices? Um, I'm going to pray and then we can kind of talk about it. Uh, Jesus, I ask that you would help us... Help us to see where you are present and that you will help us to see where you need to be brought. That you would help us to discover where injustices are and how you would like us to, to address them. Um, I pray that you would give us direction in that, that you would give us peace in that, that you would help us know that no matter what trials we face or others face, that you are always with us and that no matter what uh, we feel, you are, you are good whether you provide for us physically, whether you provide for us mentally, whether you provide for us spiritually, either way, we know that you are good, and we ask that you would show us your goodness. In your name, amen.